says the kingdom of God has arrived, he, he is talking about something that is the solution to the world's problems. So Jesus' focus, it's forward thinking. He's pushing us toward the future and the solution of our problems. And what he runs into is the old, and the old focuses upon problems and pushes back going backwards. I think that's something you and I really need to see and to understand because those, those same dynamics are at work today. The kingdom of God is moving us forward towards solution. And there are those that are, go, are pushing back, focused totally on the problems, and then even focused maybe even more like exactly like the Jews in Jesus' day. You know, if we could just, if we could just go back to the age before the Romans. That was better. But then you scratch your head and say, but that was the Greeks that were in charge then. Oh, okay, let's go back to the... Well, that was the Persians and like you were in... Oh, okay, okay, well, let's go back. And you keep, put, you keep pushing back and they're in the wilderness. Well, we, let's go back, to, go back to Egypt. So if you, that's a theme. In the Bible, it's a bigger theme... The mega narrative, if you've heard that, sometimes we are so focused on the deal, we forget the big thing. So sometimes we can get caught up in a movement that's actually pushing us back towards something that's better that has never been better. And we think that's the solution to our problem. But it isn't. It's totally the kingdom of God moving us forward into something new and better for everybody. It's the solution to the problem. So think about that as we're living life today and as you're reading news and this and that. We are, where are we? Are we, have, have, are we to say, hey, you know, I want to be part of the solution to the problem. And I want to keep moving forward towards something that's new, a new heaven and a new earth. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to just think about problems. That's a, really, that's a way to really make it have a sour day. So, you know, this confrontation, as I said, climaxes in the, in the Passion Week. It's between Jesus and the Twelve representing the new. And it really becomes focused on the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, that are 72 individuals. And they are, if you, again, I gave you a few details. Like, so that, that's, that's really the nexus of power, both religious and political power in Jerusalem is found in the Sanhedrin. Now, the shadow power behind the Sanhedrin is the Roman Empire. So you have empire and religion. You have political religious power that's running into Jesus. And Rome said to the Sanhedrin, hey, you can be the, you can be the final authority as long as you pay us your tax and as long as you maintain peace. And that's what's happening. And Jesus is disrupting that. He's disrupting that order. He's disrupting the religious and the political status quo. Because he's saying, folks, this is not working. This is not solving the problems of humanity. Empire or religion is not going to solve your problems. The Son of God will. <laughs> The kingdom of God will. That's the solution. So Jesus faces confrontation in a variety of ways. Earlier in Mark, when it came up, he just, he just left. This isn't the time. Come on, guys. 
Let's go back over to the other side of the... We're not, we're not staying. We're not having this. We're not doing this right now. Then as we discovered in the parable, uh, Jesus re- re- he, he stops directly speaking to those in opposition. He begins to tell stories of the parables with a point. Now, this passage that we're looking at, the Sanhedrin begins to... Their strategy of confrontation... Uh, becomes it comes to the surface as well. So it's this collaborative effort between Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees, and scribes. So that would be how, like how would we like? Well, if it was today, it would be like it was a collaboration with the Presbyterians, the Baptists, and the Catholics. So there's these denominational divides. These are not normally people that get together until they have a common enemy. And Jesus and his message of the kingdom becomes the common enemy of the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And what they wanted, they want to try to catch Jesus in an unguarded statement. They're trying to entrap him. And they want him to get in trouble with the law. They want him to break the law. Doesn't matter if it's religious law because they have enough clout with Rome that they can take care of that, but it, but it could also be political law. If he breaks the Roman law, we got him. And so then they just, they just try to, oh, just, just like, oh, great teacher. Just this syrupy, yibbity, yibbity, you. Uh, just try, like as if Jesus, you know, really is a people pleaser. And so they come to Jesus in Mark, oh, great teacher. They sent, they sent some Pharisees and followers of Herod to bait him, to entrap him, hoping to catch him saying something incriminating. They came up and said, oh, teacher, we know you have integrity, that you're indifferent to public opinion. Don't pander to your students and teach the way of God Accurately. <laughs> For them, that was really a bunch of baloney. They didn't believe any of that. It's a setup. Then they come down to the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're trying to get him in trouble with the Roman authority. Now, before we jump on to the rest of the story, you know, that there's an incredible statement here. I mean, they didn't know it, but they said it. We do know. We do know with confidence that Jesus has integrity. That Jesus is truthful. He's honest. He's righteous. In all of his teaching, in all of his living, that is who Jesus is. This is a great statement out of the mouths of people that did not believe it about who Jesus really is. Jesus has integrity. Jesus is indifferent to public opinion. If they would have taken political polls in Jesus' day, I mean, he would have been low among the religious. But he doesn't court to anybody's favor. He does not pander his students. He, He doesn't regard somebody's opinion of him. He doesn't change his positions based upon whether you're going to be happy or not with what he's saying. 
Jesus teaches the way of God accurately. His way of life and what he's teaching is based on reality, not on appearances. Reality, my friends, Jesus is reality. So when you and I are following Jesus, we're in touch with reality as it's meant to be. It's incredible. Now, everything Jesus is in that statement, and I'm just here to say, this is who he is. This is a great statement of who Jesus is. So everything that he is, the religious are not. They have no integrity. I mean, I I just kind of backed up in this story. They sent some Pharisees and followers of Herod to bait him. Entrapment has no integrity. They deferred a public opinion. They wanted to lynch Jesus there and then, but they were intimidated by public opinion. We're going to get in trouble with the crowds, so we've got to figure out how to do this without people knowing we're doing it. They pandered their students. If we say heaven, he'll ask us why we don't believe John. If we say human... We'll be up against it with the people. How are we going to maintain our people-pleasing ways? And they taught the way of God inaccurately. Appearance to the religious was everything. Just think, let it go through your mind. Somebody just say out loud a time when Jesus is saying, you, you guys are striving, you're striving to look good, but it's not working. You remember anything? Keeping the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath. We look good doing that. What else? Tithing. What's that? Tithing. You get a tenth of your <laughs> So you didn't want to take care of your in-laws, huh? <laughs> no. Whitewash tombs. Your whitewash tombs. You're praying in public. Your, your, your robes are getting longer. But inside... Playing games. Why are you playing games with me? So then I just... You know, when you contrast those two... I, 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 I have to ask myself and I have to ask you... Which... Which do we know and which do we rely on? Do we, do we rely upon relationship with Jesus as Jesus has made himself known? Or have we, have we grown to begin to rely upon a religious practice? So continuing in Mark 12, tell us, Jesus... Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus knew it was a trick question. So he said, by the way, he knew it was a trick question. Why? (laughs) Because of who asked him. And if that might have been maybe a little bit, you know, sleazier, who helped him? The Holy Spirit. Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit. He, he teaches us how to do that. 
warning, a warning, warning. This is a setup, warning. And he says, why are you playing games with me? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. So they handed him a coin. This engraving, who does it look like and whose name is on it? Caesar, they said. So Jesus said, pay Caesar what is his and God what is his. And their mouths hung open, speechless. They were grudgingly impressed. So on the surface, as far as what Jesus is teaching, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? The answer is yes, pay the poll tax. Uh, Jesus paid tax. Remember fishing? Hey, Peter, go go fish. That was the temple tax, but still Jesus paid tax. And, you know, just real simple. It's the right thing for us to do to pay our tax. You know, fortunately, we have a system where we can take all kinds of exemptions and da-da-da-da. But we still, bottom line, we pay our tax, right? It's the second part of this that starts to get a little bit tricky. But before we go there, pay Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. So what, just think back. What did the religious owe to Caesar? Tax was one. What else? Rome's in their life. What else? Allegiance. What else? If a soldier asks you to carry his stuff, you got to carry it a mile. That was the Roman rule. And Jesus stretches it to go ahead and do it a second mile. I mean, the simplest thing is with the taxes. Again, Jesus so proud. Look at the coin. Whose inscription's on it? Caesar's. Well, then it belongs to Caesar. So give him the tax. Then you begin to begin to start asking, well, what about us? We're governed. What belongs to our government? And what do we need to pay? Just ponder that. You don't have to answer that. But then the bigger thing is pay to God. What I love about this, again, just the structure and, I, and I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit really allowed Mark to record like the words that Jesus said. So Jesus says, pay Caesar and to God what belongs to God. He doesn't, he doesn't use the verb. He doesn't use the verb. But, but there are things that belong to God that we pay, give. It's, I don't know what the right verb so, again, kind of backing up what, what belongs to God. Again, in the religious life of the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the scribes, just within the context of where we've been, what, what belongs to God? You remember some of the, what we've read? Jesus goes and he, cleans, he cleanses the temple. Well, why? What belongs to God? That temple belongs to God. What belongs to God? What happens in that temple belongs to God. What's supposed to be happening in that temple? There's supposed to be prayer for the nations. My, my father's house is, is to be a house of prayer for the nations. The nations belong to God. 
Access to God belongs to God. Cursing of the fig tree, what belongs to God? You're going to live in a covenant relationship with God and your heart is in it. What's going to happen? You're going to have, you're, there's going to be a result. There's going to be fruit. It's not just going to be ornament. It's not just going to be appearance, leaves on a tree. There's going to be fruit. So in that, and there, I mean, just kind of, there's, Yeah. And then it begins, well, what about us? What belongs to God? So again, just think about that. What belongs to God? And what do we need to bring to Him? So with those questions, I just kind of want to roll it into our, our kingdom time, which is really meant to be, you know, how do we take these words and how, how do they begin to impact our lives? And I want to introduce something a little bit different because I spent a week in New Orleans and it was a great reminder of something that happens here every week, but we don't really, if we don't talk about it, it may not be noticed. One of the quotes, and, I, and I'll just try to say, stick with one, comes from a, a philosopher whose name was Dallas Willard. But Dallas Willard, in his philosophy, was like also an incredible person in the area of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation simply means that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others. We're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others. So the quote from Dallas Willard goes something like this. Your projects are not what are important to God. So for those of us at a pastor's conference, a leadership conference, all the projects that you start in planting and growing a church, that's not what God is interested in. What's God's project? What's the only thing that's going to go into eternity in my life and your life. You. 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 You is what God is interested in. God's interested in you. These chairs aren't going with us. You. So God is interested in us. And he's interested. He introduced us to Jesus And now through the years and the reading of the Bible and the fellowship of the saints, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, it's better if we participate knowingly in that process. It actually is happening, but it can actually happen better if we know that it's happening. (laughs) And we and we like we are we're saying we're going for that. So what I want you to, every week, I'm going to encourage everybody that's teaching to just to take what we, what we just talked about. There's a lot to think about, and I've encouraged you to think about, but I just want to bring it down to, if we're going to be transformed as a community in the likeness of Jesus from what we just read, it means that we need to be identifying what belongs to God 
and paying him appropriately from a heart filled with love and devotion. So if you take anything with you from our morning together that you could pull out tomorrow morning and spend some time meditating about, praying about, reading the Bible, it'd be that. How, how do we identify what belongs to God? And, and then I use the word payment because that's like, well, that throws me a curve. I mean, he's not really asking us for repayment. Because we could never pay him back for what he's done. But there's some exchange. Everything belongs to God. And there's got to be some exchange. But, but that exchange has to be out of a heart that loves him. Devoted to him. And, I, and I'm giving back. I'm paying back. Whatever that is. I'm doing that appropriately. Not out of a sense of, oh, hopefully this will cover the bad stuff I did. No. That bad stuff we did has already been covered. Totally covered by Jesus. So no, we're not playing that game. So what's that, what's that appropriate? So if you'll think about that and then bring these questions into it. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us like be people of integrity, emotional honesty who answer these questions from the heart. Do we know? Do we know and do we live in relationship with Jesus as Jesus has made himself known? Again, I went over that passage. Again, if you're confused about it, go back and reread that. This is who Jesus is. Do I know him for who he is? Or do, do I begin to adopt this kind of religious Jesus? To start there. Holy Spirit, help me answer these questions. When do we play games with Jesus? What, what things belong to God? And when are we supposed to give these things to God? And how do we give to God? Then how do we give out of a heart that's filled with love and devotion? Because throughout the story, what has God wanted more than anything? I want you to love me. (laughs) Do you love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength? with everything that you are. Do you love me? And do you love that neighbor right next to you? Just like you love yourself. That's been bottom line throughout the whole story. Never, It's never changed. It's never changed. Holy Spirit, thank you for this season of Pentecost. And thank you that we can invite you into our time and we can invite you to take us on this journey of transformation. Thank you that as we read the Bible that that these stories are not just about 
the past. They're about today. And there's questions for us. Help us to answer those questions. Help us to be honest with you, honest with ourselves, and honest with at least one other human being. Lord, I pray for our community that this week that we would be able to identify what belongs to you and that we will, we will pay you appropriately, appropriately from a heart that's filled with love and devotion for you. In your name, Jesus, amen. So like I said, pay your taxes. That's easy. That's, that's really easy. The other's not so easy. But I encourage you to spend some time this week and enjoy just exploring. Okay? Thank you for our time together. Please hug each other as you say goodbye. Collect your kids and enjoy the day.